And thank you, our fellow lovers of love, for joining us on this excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of love. I like it. Yeah, I twisted it a little bit. I actually got it right this time, which is a good news for tonight. We have our friend of the show, Max, will be on here in just a second. You know, but it's been a bit of a crazy week. I've had, this is my actually my sixth show I've had to prep for this week. The sixth Good one. Heaven. You know, plus some party duties. It's been a crazy, crazy, crazy busy week. But with Valentine's Day heading up, we figured it was a good time to bring Max back on and talk about relationships through mental health and kind of that journey. And he has a a, a book that I'm about in the middle of the way through. It's a small fingernails. Oh, and I'm going to butcher the title, so I'll bring Max on to, to, to talk about it. Because I was just... Max, how you doing? Hey. Good to see you, uh, I was just sitting here, going to bring up the title maybe, to your book, and I said it's false small fingernails, and I was—I knew I wasn't going to get the rest right, so I bring you on, let you do, talk about it a little bit. But before I do, I want to know—we're talking about mental health today, and so I want to let everybody know if you are dealing with a mental health issue and you kind of don't know what to do, there are resources available. Um, specifically, there's the national uh, national mental health hotline. Nationalhealthhotline.org. You got the phone number there on the bottom of the screen. Let's see if I can, my blind self can read it. <laughs> it what is it? 866 3787 Did I read that right? Yeah. I did. It's amazing. All right. But anyway, if I got that wrong, the link is in the description. The phone number is in the description as well, please. They would rather help you before a crisis. Then when you're in a crisis, they would happily help you when they're in the crisis. But really, it's pre-crisis is the best time to intervene with yourself. And it's important that we all take care of these things. And I, you know, Max, it's uh, dealing with your mental health as you growing up into an adult and all the complications that it has and the implications that relationships have, not just on our mental health, but with our mental health. It's a, the journey is very strange and I'm reading your book and I'm finding it very compelling. It's actually, you know, I was trying to at least skim it, trying to get all the way through so I can get a, a very good read on it, but I couldn't. It's one of those books where you can't actually skim. You have to actually read, but it's a good read. It's a quick read. It's, it's not long. It's pretty quick. I'm about halfway through, but it's quite compelling. And so, you know, maybe you can tell tell our viewers and listeners about what it's about. Okay, sure. It's, it's um, Small Fingernails, Even Less Love. And um, as you might gather from the title, um, it's about love and relationships. You know, not just, you know, from family to friends, um, people that you care about, people that you're interested in romantically. And, you know, there are a lot of people in our lives that surround us, right? People that you want there, people that you don't want there, people that you can do something about, maybe something you can't do about that just gonna be there anyway. And, and you know, navigating those relationships, uh, all of them, and, and harnessing, you know, the good energy, the bad energy, trying to block out what you don't want and, and, and embrace what you do want and enhance it and amplify it. You know, um, life is a journey where you just pass through people, all these people, and, and some of them you cling on to too long, some of them you don't cling on to enough. Some of them you care about, some of them really don't, and and where life takes you. And it, this book is about my journey through, mm, 
uh, they, they call it uh, pre-journal schizophrenia, but it's really about um, right before my break, all the events that led up to uh, getting very sick. And so there's that looming in the distance, this, this idea that, you know, something's going to go very, very wrong. And throughout the book, stuff continues to go wrong, but on a smaller, smaller level. And it builds to, to this, you know, fever pitch where, you know, eventually I can't do anything about it. And there's no intervention that's really going to help me. Uh, and, and I'm just going to find myself in this, this uh, new space. And that's the next book, University on Watch. So the book sort of ends where the next book begins. They stand on their own. But, you know, life is, life is a struggle. Even, even in the parts that we like, uh, we find ourselves sometimes struggling, um, you know, in our mental health. And on a day-to-day -day basis, and that struggle doesn't have to be a bad struggle. It could be very positive, um, you know, like, can't wait to finish this video game, but there's struggle there, right? You're, you're, you're playing, you're, you're worrying, am I going to get to the next level, you know? Um, but, you know, life is more than a game, very, very serious. And um, I wish you all, you know, good luck in getting to that next level. Yeah, struggle is part of success, right? Exactly. You very rarely succeed without some struggle. But I found the honesty of your book it, it was it, i don't like to use the word brutal honesty but it was kind of brutal at times the honesty it, it must be very difficult to be that open and honest in, in paper writing it out i mean i like to think i'm a, i come out here and i'm as open as honest as i can be but you know it was a it's a very very honest book and you know it's in in one way it's superficially at least it seems kind of very typical it seems like a very typical college student experience, you know, yeah. sex, drugs, rock and roll, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, superficially, but you know, but you, you can, but you know, for those of us who can see who have experienced or who can kind of see the undertones and you laid out very well that there's a looming disaster coming and it's, it was, it's a, quite a page turner. If I didn't have so much to do, I would have gotten through it long before the time of the show. <laughs> I, was, I actually, at this point, I'm feeling guilty that I didn't get it finished because I think there's there's so much more in there that I, we could talk about that I didn't quite got to yet. I, I'd say so. I mean, if you if you did that much reading and just uh, you know one sit or a few sits, then you know it's a good read. Um, and there's a lot there's a lot ahead. Um, so I won't spoil it for you or for any other readers. Um, but like, you know, it's so true. There's always so much underneath the surface, right? You know, sure. A lot of our lives look very similar superficially, right? We, we watch TV, we listen to music, we, we go to the restaurant, we do this, we do that. But in our minds, right? All the yeah. stuff that we think about and, 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 and we work through, um, it doesn't always look the same, but there's a lot there. And I talk about what's there, you know, and I think a lot of people appreciate that about my writing because, you know, like you said, superficially, a lot is the same, right? All these townships from, from New York to L.A., they look very similar, right? Houses, roofs, lawns. But underneath that thin veneer, there's a whole lot of stuff, right? And I think of that stuff as the thoughts, you know, and, and, and the darkness and the light and all that stuff that no one wants to talk about. And I wonder why. You know, I wonder why. Well, you share that kind of that inner dialogue that, it, you know, the or maybe it's not even the inner dialogue, the, the com combination of that inner dialogue and reality, you kind of share that, I think is, is a good way to explain it, is that you kind of weave that together and you tell kind of that internal compelling story. And that's something that I think most of us are afraid to, to face. 
And it's actually not, for me, I don't actually, ex explaining why is actually very easy. It's because we're so afraid of rejection. Ah. We are so afraid of rejection that yeah. I don't want to show the world this ugly side of me. Fear, what I right? feel is ugly side of me because I might be rejected. And yeah. so, you know, why it happens actually is quite understandable. It's, but, you know, it's people like you and, you know, after reading your book, I I'm not nearly as open with my, my life as I'd like to think I am. You, you, you really do just bear your soul. And that's, it's, it's both your, you had me actually, you had me act your acknowledgements, your acknowledgements, the acknowledgements uh, rang with me emotionally. And so knowing that, knowing we already talked to you, knowing that having a kind of skimmed a little bit of your other book and knowing that there was disasters coming, I went, I'm walking through this and I'm going, I could put myself there. Okay. You know, while my experiences were different. You know, I went, instead of going to college, I went right to work and raising a family and we had, you know, both of us had traumas and mental health issues that were undealt with or, or unacknowledged even. And so that made, you know, what could have been a good marriage into a traumatizing experience. Right. And, and just like, as you were getting to, you know, your experiences with your support group are both positive and negative at the same time. And both those truths are true. Yeah. And so much of life is like that. And how do you, and you don't even realize this until later in hindsight, when you're looking back and going, wow, I'm much smarter now. And who I should have made, <laughs> I should have done some things differently. Yeah, definitely. Nothing's perfect. And, and being okay with irregularities, whatever you want to call it, just the imperfections in our lives like that, embracing that and saying, it's okay. That's okay. That's human. And it's okay to be human. I'm human. So I should be okay with the fact that life is going to be this way because this is what life is, you know, and like, self-acceptance, radical acceptance, whatever you want to call it, you know. Yeah, you're, you, you show that um, you're at the same time, your unique experiences, but at the same time, it's insanely relatable. I think all of us, especially those of us who've had journeys through mental health or had relationships through mental health that trauma actually made worse. Or that you or you bring bring in past traumas, trauma, and you bring those into your next relationship, and then the other person brings their past traumas and their past misperceptions and their mental health. It's amazing. We all anybody can get together and have a functional relationship at all. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> I, I was just talking about this on another show about trauma, right? So people will say, "What is trauma?" right? What does that look like? What is it? And and I was explaining that trauma could be anything for anyone. The point is, it's damage that gets so bad, so, you know, that it, it it becomes a thing in and of itself where, where you know, it, 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 it's like a scar. We all bleed, right? But not all bleeding keeps us back and stops us from doing things. It, it gets to the point where it's so bad, where like, uh-oh, I can't use my hand anymore. Or uh-oh, um, you know, now... Now I can't get to where it is I want to do and do what I want to do with that incident, you know, and, and that's the type of trauma that is what I think you find in my books. There's a trauma in each and every one of my books. And um, I sort of try to show how trauma impacts people in their relationships and only makes things worse. And dealing with that 
It's so important, folks. It's so yeah, it, yeah, because it colors your whole perception of reality. You, you after you're you no longer experience the world essentially correctly. You experience the world through this filter that has value. It's not based on nothing, but you're interpreting. You can't see. It's like don't see things for what they are. Putting on up can't really see that I talk about Christina. She can't really see me as I am. She has such rose colored glasses on <laughs> that, you know, you know, my imperfections, you know, my, my bad hair days, the bad breath. She doesn't notice so much, you know, that kind of thing. you know, it's the rose colored glasses. but you know, she also gets the, what we call it, we call it doom brain, right? Yes. We call it doom brain. Everything that happens goes to the worst case scenario. And I have to talk myself down from it, you know. We have a fight, it means we're breaking up, you know. <laughs> and we don't even fight that often. We both have, have bad days when we fight. So, you know, it, it really does. And that rarely happens. We rarely fight. So when it happens, it's this big traumatic thing. <laughs> and we don't even fight properly. It lasts like three minutes for one of us. <laughs> It's my fault. <laughs> it doesn't last. It's really kind of comical. <laughs> but it does. Let's get the, for, you know, those 10 minutes, you get the doom brain and I get this anxiety brain because my world is no longer what I, what I thought it was. And then, no, wait a minute. The world is exactly what I thought it was. Stop telling me lies, you brain, you, you know, and, and you go off, you go hugger and, and we're kind of, That are works, and I've been alive, and so you know we get all of that, and and so we've kind of developed the tools to to not overreact to that. But when you're young and you don't have the tools, oh, to shoot. yeah, add mania into there, add drugs, add all these other components that exacerbate, make symptoms worse. Then it really is a breakup because you're so out of control. That's, that's all you can really do at that point is just be out of control. So that's why it's so important to be preventative, right? Get involved with your mental health before it's a crisis. That's, that's yeah. what I think. Well, oddly enough, I, I forget who it was. Um, one of these big speakers, maybe it was Jonathan Haidt or, or one of those, they were talking about we should discuss emotional health and mental health separately because you can actually prevent some mental health issues if we start talking about emotional health. And we get people to deal with their emotional health before it becomes a mental health issue. And so, you know, it's hard for me as, as a, you know, as kind of a lay person to under, to kind of say, okay, well, where is that line? But it, but in the generics, it makes sense to me that if we get people to start treating their emotions health better, to start learning how to manage their emotions before they create trauma for themselves or before they create trauma for other people, we can actually prevent a lot, well, maybe not a lot, some, at least some of our mental health issues down the road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can, we can put a category into each aspect of mental health, right? You know, our thinking, our emotions, our behavior, but they're all connected. You know, they're all connected. Um, so, you know, so I would, I would say like, I don't know. I mean, if I, if I, if I think, if I correct my thinking, sure, maybe my emotions uh, might, might, might readjust and stabilize 
and, and what does that say about other things? But, you know, some people can do that, some people can't. That's why I think advice like that is good for folks that are really need to tune into their emotional health. Like if they have, um, you know, effective or, you know, um, issues with their, you know, directing their moods, then a bipolar person might want to think about that. But for me, when it's where it's all connected, more of a schizoaffective, you know, schizophrenia, I need to really look at my thinking and my emotions because if I don't bridge that connection, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, well, but what about nowadays where you're talking about people who are, we'll call them normies, right? We're telling the normal people who are yeah, actually right? dealing with emotional and mental stresses that they haven't had to deal with before, you know? Because of COVID. Yeah, okay. and, so maybe, and so maybe to them, bringing it up as emotional health might be a better way to kind of bridge that gap, open that door to get them to sure. understand it. Oh, definitely. Maybe that's, maybe that's the point he was trying to make. Oh, definitely. Present it, present it to the people who need it, right? Yeah. And so that way you can, you know, you present it in a, you, what is it? Like you do with a, with a dog or something. You put their pill inside a hot dog and you give it to them and they eat it. <laughs> you know, hey, however you're going to eat it, man, I'm going to feed it to you to get you to eat it. Absolutely. And so maybe that's a way to package it for, you know, for normal people who are now starting to deal with emotional health issues. And it's like, hey, you know, let's get with this now before it becomes a behavioral issue. I agree. Before it becomes something bigger, before you start misinterpreting the world, before we, because we are, we're seeing kind of our culture and society. I was, you know, I was watching a, a news article earlier about the, the um, increase of unruly f people on airplanes. Yeah. Right? It's like a record number of unruly passengers on airplanes in 2021. It was, wasn't even close. It was like, like double. And so, you know, there's reasons for that. There's emotional and mental health reasons for that. It's not just people are, are somehow meaner now than they were two years ago or three years ago. There's reasons that this happened. And I think emotional and mental health is far more important now than maybe it's ever been. And at least in, my memory as culturally speaking. I mean, it's always important individually speaking, but culturally and society speaking, I think it's more important than it's ever been. Oh, yeah. Airplanes, any confined space, really. People are acting out and getting violent. Um, you know, there's a, a huge increase in TV cases over the pandemic because people are trapped with each other in smaller spaces, right? And when, when there's this issue of proximity, there's always going to be an issue of people fighting and, and getting in each other's faces and angry. And that's scary. It's scary. We need to air out. We need this needs pandemic needs to, you know, come to come to the point where at least we can air ourselves out and be a little bit more, uh, a little less claustrophobic. Yeah. It's, you know, a couple of years of fear will kind of do that to people. It's going to fray nerves. It's going to create problems. And, you know, I think we all need to kind of, figure out ways to manage our emotions better than we've been doing. And, you know, I think having conversations where people are open and honest with each other, you know, maybe it doesn't get them to be as open, as honest as us, but maybe it gets them to pick up that phone and, and call a therapist and say, can I schedule an appointment? Or maybe it gets them to be more open and honest with their, with their loved ones, with their friends and their family. Because one of the things that I have noticed in all your writing is how important your family is and has been in your journey through your mental health trials. If you'd had a different family, how different could your, your outcomes have been? You know? 
And I feel that because I'm in the same I'm in the exact same boat. If I'd had a different family, a less supportive family, a less functional family, you know, I could be on the street and a statistic very easily, right? Yeah. Yeah, my family has been there from the very beginning, very beginning to the very, you know, to today. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I've been, because I've been so open and honest with them about my emotions and about my thinking, they've been able to tune in to me and figure out, you know, what's going on a lot easier. I think, you know, it's harder for family when people are closed off and blocked off with whether they're not able to say what's going on. You know, family can be like, wait, what's happening with them? They can be maybe fearful or not, not intervene in the right way. But I've always tried to coach my family through how to intervene with me, you know, through my writing, um, through talking with them. Hey, mom, hey, dad, when I'm not feeling this way, please come approach me like this. Or maybe we can have a conversation in this sort of manner. And, 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 and telling them exactly what my needs are emotionally, you know, um, you know, it has been very helpful. You know, I try to be as open and as honest as possible because that allows people to approach me in ways that, you know, are a lot healthier and and, uh, and intervene without incident, right? Um, but they're great. They have a lot of love and compassion and 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 want the best for me. And when we want the best for everyone around us, um, you know, usually things end up better than not, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you get up, you know, I have a belief that, you know, there's a fundamental belief, not just in physics, but in all of life. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So you put love out there, you will get love back eventually. You may not be able to kind of measure it. You may not know it's, it comes back to you. You know, it's not linear necessarily, but it will come back <laughs> because that's just how life works. And so if you put negative stuff into the world, the negative stuff's going to come back to you. So if you put positive stuff into the world, if you try and become a better human being, then the world in some way will reflect that back and will reward you for it is the wrong term. It's going to reflect you back because it's not a reward. It's just how the world functions. It's yeah. how evolution works or however you want to describe it. It's how karma works. It's how God works. It's how evolution, you know, whichever your thing is. You can describe it however you want, but we have eons that show that that's how it works. <laughs> you know, the mechanism behind it, believe what you want, but that it's pretty clear at this stage that that's how it works. And so being kinder to each other, being nicer to each other, and that includes, hey, understanding yourself. Yeah. If I, I was 35 before I understood I had an anxiety disorder, and then you go back in life and you say, when did it start? I don't know. You know, I was in middle school, no, elementary school, first, second grade. I was would rather, you know, risk peeing my pants, wetting my pants, than raise my hand and say, I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. It doesn't make any logical sense, but disorders don't make sense. No. And so, you know, so it goes back at least into elementary school, if probably as old as long as I've been alive. I'm kind of suspecting. And it's just something inherent in me. And so I've been living with that anxiety disorder. And man, did it make me misinterpret the world and live as a hypocrite, and kind of unknowingly. But once you kind of discover it, you go, oh, well, crap. Now what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, you didn't really intend to live life as a hypocrite, but you were. And, yeah. so, and so you've got to go, eh. And so now I have this 
extreme dislike for hypocrisy because I know what it does to a human being. I know what it does to your to your self worth. And yeah. so it's just is it hypocrisy I, or is it misunderstanding? You know, you misunderstood yeah. people misunderstood you and you misunderstood yourself. Is that hypocrisy or is that just you know a lot of misunderstanding and confusion? Well, it's when you fundamentally misunderstand the world and so then you interpret the world and you in, in sense, essentially impose perspectives on other people that they don't really intend, you have to accept responsibility for that. Okay. Now, I'm not going to beat myself up with a hammer over it because you know, kind of thing. I'm not going to overly beat myself up with it, but yeah. I'm going to ex accept, yes, that was me. I have to accept responsibility for it and I can be better. Uh, and so right. you, know, you just try not to do that. You try to become better, a better human being. And you eventually get to a, a person that no longer recognizes that person. You acknowledge that it was you, right. but you can no longer really recognize that human being. You know, yeah. I was there. I, I understand it, but that's not me. That's not really who I was. I was just this massively confused, anxiety-ridden, had no idea what the hell was going on person. And until I broke for the my third, what was my third one? <laughs> I guess it was my third... Uh, emotional breakdown where I finally had to say, you know, I can't do this anymore. I have to fundamentally change where I started on the journey out from the depths of hell. Yeah. So it's a, you know, these journeys through, through life and through our relationships, because how many relationships did we destroy? Did I destroy along the way? You know, the other person has responsibilities in it. They played their roles. They did things, but you have to accept yours. And it's not an easy thing to accept, but you have to. Yeah. You yeah. do. If you want to grow and, and mature beyond your years and experience better things, you have to. You know. And it's Valentine's Day is coming up and people are oh, sitting yeah. here. You know, we've got we've got divorce rates are highest at this time of year. And you've also got people who are essentially, you know, uh, what is it? Reaffirming their love. Yes. For ah. one another. You know, these this discussions about getting through journeys with mental health, especially now when, you know, what is it? 19% of the population has some form of anxiety disorder. And you start adding in everything else. You're talking about a third, 40% of the country, right? It has have, is having these issues, and we don't acknowledge it that this deeply affects our relationships, and deeply affects our families, and deeply affects our cultures. And uh, you know, it's people like you who are willing to be honest about it can actually tell a story for millions of people. You know, other people don't have to tell their story now, but they can have a relate. This is kind of, in general scope, you know, my story. And it's very, it's very powerful. So what you think, Max? You want to hang around for some questions? Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. I'm going to step out. All right. She's going to go take a step out real quick. Should we both take a step out for a second? Or... Uh-huh. What's that? Should we both take a step out for one second? Or... Oh, yeah, if you want to. Okay. All right. I'm going to step out for one second. All right. You know, there's a... I just keep the topic going. There's a, um, in the description for his book on Amazon, the very first sentence actually got me. 
Sometimes love finds us. Other times, love is a trauma that hurls itself into the very fabric of our lives. And that's a fundamental truth, whether it's for good or bad. Finding the love of your life can be an extremely traumatizing experience. It's maybe trauma for good, but it's a very traumatizing, can be a very traumatizing experience. You know, one minute you're going about your life, you're enjoying drinking beer, hanging out with your friends, you know, you're on a career path, and next thing you know, all you can think about is this is this girl with the beautiful blonde hair, or the gorgeous purple eyes, or the laugh you can't get out of your ears, or the smile that appears in your eyes every time you close them. You know, these are moments that we all experience in some way. And, you know, sometimes it's a good way. Sometimes, you know, it brings you love and compassion and passion. And other times it brings you despair. Love. Talking about love. How it can smack you like a trauma. It can be the most disastrous thing on the face of the planet and yet it's also at the same time it can be the most thrilling thing in our existence. That it, and it, it can be a trauma that is both good and bad and but yet we also can't really function without it. We can't function without love. It, life is a kind of a meaningless existence if you don't have it in some form. You know, if you don't have the love of friends or family, it doesn't have to be romantic love. You know, no. you have, but you have to have some kind of love in your life. Otherwise, you just kind of wither away, I think. So, you know, we were talking about that first sentence of your Amazon description. It got me with, it was, it's a very well written. Did you write that? I'm assuming you wrote that there. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I... You never know what people are going to really appreciate and what's really, you know, like these major statements, you know, authors make. And I just, that was just, you know, at the very end, I was, I needed a description. I wrote something up and there, that's what took, that's what people love hearing. And there's a truth to it. I know rereading it now, but like, I never know what I'm going to write. You know, that's, one of those, that's one of those things you need to put on a meme and a, and a nice little graphic. I'm going to make one up. Which thing do you want? We put Jay Peters or Max Gutman on. Jay Peters. Name? Jay Peter. All right, we'll do that. Thank you. You never know what to do with writers. <laughs> I never know myself, you know. Um, it's just, you know. Okay. Because weird. you never know what to do with writers. You know, it was Maxwell Clemens or Mark Twain. You know, it always depended. Was he writing for the newspaper or was he writing a book? You exactly. Know? Exactly. <laughs> you just never know. All right. How are your relationships impacted in adulthood when a teen? Oh, how are your relationships impacted in adulthood when, as a teen, you were stigmatized because of having an emotional disorder? Well, I uh, I I came uh, from a time where you were just a bad kid. They didn't diagnose you. You know, and so I didn't have this. I had the stigma in high school of being a, a bad kid, but in a but so I didn't have that. What about you guys? Well, see, I was always just shy. We we didn't just we didn't diagnose people back in the eighties. 
seventies, late seventies and eighties when I was in school. But we was he was a shy kid who just needed to apply himself. Yeah, that kind of thing. That was that was mine. So I don't know how much harder I could try when school was an awful traumatizing experience. So it's you know it's a it's a strange thing, isn't it, Max? It is. I was I had emotional stuff in high school. Uh, it's one of my actually one of my books out there, Wales High School First Diagnosis, all about my experiences and getting sick in high school. Um, and I had emotional issues and that definitely impacted things later on. Um, you know, when I was in college, you know, I was sort of deciding, should I be on meds again? Do I need to go back on meds? Should I still see a therapist? And and the answer was, uh, was yes. <laughs> get, get connected to a therapist right away. Um, because later on, um, before like the stuff you're reading about, this precursor stuff, um, you know, became really serious. It was even more important for me to be connected to a therapist because like, you know, read earlier for that um, prevention uh, blurb for that hotline, the earlier, the better. You have to nip things before they escalate because mental health always escalates um, if you don't take care of it. Things get worse very quickly sometimes. And if you don't act now, um, sometimes I don't want to say it's too late, but you know things could get out of control to the point where you know an earlier intervention could have really been very beneficial. Yeah, I think we, me and Christina, I I know that once I realized my daughter was having issues with anxiety, we kind of made her aware of okay, this is what you're experiencing, and now it's gonna. I can't tell you how it's gonna manifest because you're different than me, but we can prepare you for the manifestations. We can be open with you so we can help her through it and so she didn't have the nearly as traumatizing experience through school and i know you've had to deal with this issues as not as going through school but having to maybe early intervention would have helped you with dealing with your uh... yes early intervention would have would have prevented me from self-medicating with drugs and alcohol that was an odyssey I think that's what I think. How many people are actually attempting to self-medicate when they're using drugs or alcohol or sex, trying to, you know, whatever their addiction is. How many times they're just trying to self-medicate is essentially what they're trying to do. And yeah. something that isn't discussed enough, I think. It isn't discussed enough for a lot of reasons. You know, how many people are doing that because they can't get connected to a therapist or a doctor or don't have the right insurance or, or you know, they're not getting the meds that they need, you know, so they look elsewhere. You know, it speaks to a whole host of issues. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. All right. What do you have next, Levy? I think the second one's for you. People who have bipolar disorder, are they more comfortable being with others who have the disorder? Also, do they feel more at ease with that person while withdrawing and alienating themselves from other people who are not bipolar? Um, I have friends of all kinds, they have their own issues. Some are normies. It kind of never really comes up. It's not an issue, really. Uh, I have um, joined support groups, and it's, it's so I can share my journey and I can hear about others and and uh, uh, not feel so alone in my struggles and my and I get to hear successes that's always wonderful and celebrate with people their milestones it's it, so it, it's kind of a mixed bag there yeah I, 
you know, anxiety. I don't like being around people. So you, <laughs> you get the anxiety disorder. He doesn't like being around people, but if you ask for bipolar, so I'm not sure. Do you have, as a kind of a professional on that, do you have a, any comments on there for you, Max? Well, I, you know, I, I call it my personal caseload um, as opposed to my professional caseload. I don't get paid for those folks, but, um, you know, they're my friends and definitely, you know, you know, I, it's, even when engaged with them at the diner conversation, we'll talk about, you know, I'll hear, oh, they don't, they don't get it because they don't have this there. You know, they don't deal with these issues. They don't understand. And a lot of people, I think these normies, right, they don't understand because it's, it's, you know, you don't understand it until you're going through it. But, you know, you know, I think that's why you have that personal connection, a special connection with these people that are, you know, both struggling with the same thing. Definitely, definitely. But whatever, not have a friend or rule out a friend that, you know, isn't struggling. No, friend's a friend. That's another connection. And they bring themselves something special, right? Exactly. Everyone brings their own. Yeah. Yeah. See? Yeah. yeah it, there's, there's a difference, you know, being around people who have like experiences. So, you know, don't feel so alone. But you don't want to ever just kind of limit yourself to just that because you lose the color of life. It, it yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay, I'm 17 and I'm pretty sure I have a UTI, but I'm scared to go to the doctor with my mom because I feel like I might be pregnant. What should I do? Oh my dear, she's not going to kill you. No, we got this. We did a UTI thing before, but it wasn't with the pregnancy attached to it. Now, <laughs> we're not doctors, but even uh, we, even I, the ignorant, blow-haired I know that doesn't go to the doctors enough. UTIs are bad enough by themselves and dangerous enough by themselves if left untreated. UTIs with the combination of a pregnancy is insanely dangerous. Oh, God. So get your UTI taken care of. See if there's a pregnancy. It likely won't be as bad as you think talking to your parents. But even if it is, the resources out there to deal with it if you, if you absolutely get to that kind of traumatic thing. The last thing you need to do is make a bad situation even worse by adding infection into it. Yeah. I think, did I, anything I stated wrong there, Max? No, no. And if you have a UTI when you're an older adult too, like 70s, 80s or in a nursing home, that has to get checked out too because it can look like you're dying. It can look like you're in the actively dying process. It happened to my father. Um, we thought he was dying. He was in a hospital bed prepared for death until we realized he had a UTI. And when we cleared up, he was right back driving again, back to his old self. So UTIs of all kinds have to be looked at very, very quickly uh, before it gets so serious. Yeah, so don't wait on these kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My mom is passing. It's been a while since we talked. On Facebook, I see a post from my niece saying she's getting her estate. What should I do? Well, first, you call your mother and you deal with that because your mother is passing, all, uh, you know, unless there's some serious past issue and this is just kind of normal, we've grown apart, drifted away, you call your mother and you deal with that. And until you don't care about the estate, your freaking mother is dying. What's wrong with you? Right. It's, you know, it's really, that's what you're going to worry about. I think, you know, and. And if there is some kind of trauma involved, then you don't want to be tied to the estate anyway. So yeah. just deal with the death of your mother and let everything else work itself out. Right. Because, it, well, don't create a problem that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. I think. 
Yeah, that pretty much. I'm pretty good at these kind of things at this. <laughs> I think that's a good one. I think you don't want to, you don't want to make it worse. I think is what you want to do. And your your mother is dying, and you're you know what we wouldn't give to have a few more days with a past loved one. So take the time now to don't regret it later. That's my suggestion. Okay. Okay. Have you ever had a coworker who lived a secret life? Yes. And it was awful. She was living with a guy and she involved me in her dates with other guys. And he called me one time. Where is she? Oh, she's in the bathroom. Uh, that was awful. Oh, well, everybody has a secret. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but it's none of your business. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like, God, I wasn't expecting that kind of response. Yeah, she was. Lovey really did have somebody with a secret life there, didn't she? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not going behind closed doors, all kinds of weird things happen you know and if no one if they don't tell you it's because it's none of your business and you're going to go about your lives but if they're involving you in their secret life i suppose you have to make a decision right max i mean yeah yeah i had to tell her i wasn't comfortable with it anymore that is not an easy conversation is it no and she was my boss oh that's <laughs> <laughs> So how'd that one go? We weren't so friendly after yeah. that. Yeah, I suppose not. <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any advice for how to approach a conversation like that, though, Max? Because telling somebody you have to have a conversation and tell them it's you know you're not comfortable. How to approach that is a, is a more difficult it's proposition, strange, especially a work relationship like that. Because you know, a work relationship is you know is. It has also there's also a written procedure around that you know and 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 that's when you have to go to an hr person right away um if you feel like you're you know you're in any sort of danger but i've been in work relationships with supervisors and other folks you know and, and if it stays well it stays good it's it's okay and i've had friendships that have grown out of that and you know long-term friends now and you know it's been beautiful but um there are other times when it could go very very sour very very quickly and uh, you want to get the help of you know, an HR person right away before you lose your job or things happen. Um, so, you know, you watch the direction, feel it, feel the vibe. Is it going in a good place or is, or is it not? And get ahead of it before things, you know, dip. Um, but, you know, any type of relationship that you have, you know, you always want to be as open, as honest as possible. That's why I think that involving people in a lie or in a, um, you know, in a story is always a very precarious situation because people are are, are are nebulous and they're always moving around you never know when that lie is going to you're going to get caught up in that lie right yeah. for, for kids too right that's a good lesson don't tell lies it's the songs about it too you know yeah. be very careful with lying um because it, you know if, if it's not really calculated to to the umpteenth level People are going to find out and get angry. Yeah. Well, and all of that, it must be faced. If, if you're lazy like me, it's, honesty is just freaking easier. Yeah. It's just easier in the, in the long run. It's just way less complicated. It's got way less. It's, it's freaking easier. 
so just be so just be honest but if it's none of your business it's none of your business sure so, yeah that's kind of what it is okay my daughter is 16 and wants a car everyone in her school has really nice cars what uh -huh. car do you recommend for a 16 year old with weapon friends this is for you honey i know you're gonna love this well see one. i'm old school you buy a beater it's about six different colors because it's got all kinds of different parts attached to it they're just gonna get in an accident you gotta hit something but yeah, hey, you yeah. don't buy your child a car to keep up with the Joneses. You buy them a car because they have a need and they've earned the response and, and they've shown the responsibility for it. That's why you get them a car. Exactly. And and you get the kind of car that you can afford. You know, if you can afford a nice car, by all means, buy them yeah. a nice car. It's less likely to break down. It's probably safer. But you know, if a car's been built in the last ten years, it's generally as safe as any other on the road. And if it's been well maintained, it's been well maintained, and it's probably as you know as safe as other. You can have mechanics get it checked out, and you do the maintenance. And so the really the the question is: Is the child prepared to drive a car? That's really the question. Forget everything else. Forget everything else. That can be dealt with. It's just is the child prepared? Because you don't want to you don't want to hold them back. If they're ready, you want to let them run, right, Max? You want to yeah. let them go. But if they're not, you're not doing them any favors. And so, and well, you they have the Mercedes, so we have to buy the one. That's setting up a bad example for them for the rest of their lives. And you just don't want, I don't think that's something we all should be trying to avoid. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anything, any got anything to add, Dave? No. Max? Well, anytime you look to other people, what they have and what they're doing, as a meter stick for what you do in your life is a mistake. You live your own life. And, and what's going on with you is what's, you know, are you prepared for this? Like you said, um, am I, am I ready to drive? You know, um, you know, am, am I ready to take this on? Hell, if I asked myself those questions years ago, I was not ready to drive or maybe it maybe maybe the first year, but then, you know, after that, I sort of got sick, you know, and then what do you do? You know, it's, it's a weird, it was a weird situation for me because, you know, when I was high school, I was driving all over. Um, but you know, after a while I was finding myself misplacing my car, losing my car, um, you know, car accidents, car this. I've had, must have had over 10 cars over the, you know, 15 years. You know, like that's, ooh, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't even, I don't even know where to go with that. All I know is, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just make sure they're ready for it and, yeah, be prepared because they're going to hit something and just, you kind of hope it's, oh, a, God, yeah, nothing that gets anybody hurt. That's <laughs> what they do. How responsible you are for your own behaviors is a very difficult thing if you don't have the insight behind it, you know? So it's, it's about insight and self-awareness. And sometimes for teenagers, that's a hard thing. Adults sort of have to assess that. And yeah. being in a good relationship with a trusting parent is probably gonna be your best idea of, you know, well, how, how ready you are. Yeah, yeah, uh, well said. Okay. When I tell my son to pause this video game to come eat, he shouts at me that he can't pause this game. I know that you can pause video games. Yeah. What okay. do I say to him? <laughs> okay, well, first, actually, the pausing of the video games isn't actually the issue because there are online games that they're playing like first-person shooters online with their friends. They actually can't pause it, but it's also not relevant. If you have told him 20 minutes advance, dinner's in 20 minutes, the game goes off and you come sit down for dinner, Yeah. whether you can pause it or not. You know? I can understand wanting to show some res mutual respect for their activities and your dinner. You want to show some mutual respect, but that's just, there's dinners in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. 
And so you give them enough warning so they can finish their round or finish whatever they're doing. And then they can come to dinner. That's kind of how I did it because my children's mother would flip out if the, when they, every time they would go, I'm in a game. I'm die. Karama. And she would drive her absolutely crazy. And then I'd have to deal with it. And so, and, and so, yeah, yeah. I, that was not, you know, there was problems in that marriage. I'm just saying, but I enabled them and, you know, I have my own roles in that. So I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying that's what happened. It's just, and, you know, yeah, it's, it, my thing is you don't want to, you don't want to set up a fight with a teenager, but at the same time, you have to have clear boundaries and you have to know what to expect. So you can actually manage that difference. You can give them yeah. the respect they need as teenagers becoming adults by giving them kind of fair warning. But, you know, fair warning is fair warning, right? Am I off base here, Max? Oh, time management, planning, absolutely. You know, that's something to be learned too by a video game. Preparing, you know, 15 minutes till dinner. All right, I got this kid, I got to learn, or a teenager, what time, it, what time means, right? And how to manage that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's a, I guess probably the best option, but it actually seemed like we weren't too bad. This is a kind of a new, the way the question was phrased, it seemed like relative on a new problem. And so I think if you inter, intervene properly now, you don't create a bigger problem later on, which is we've dealt with questions that are much bigger problems later on. <laughs> <laughs> and those are much harder to deal with. If I can go to counseling now, you know, that's a much harder, that's a much harder problem to do it. Okay. If a family denies their children candy, what is the consequences of this later in life? Do these people learn to fear and dislike candy? Uh, we didn't have a lot of candy and I eat chocolate every flipping night. I don't think there's a straight answer to it, right? I don't think there's a straight answer. Some kids will respond differently will take to it and not mind eating, you know, celery and other kids will feel deprived and then they will look for every opportunity to eat candy. Right. It's, there's not a automatic response. What is the question? Is it about just eating candy, eating candy? And yeah, if, you, if you deprive your child of candy, will they want, will they have some kind of negative reaction to candy later on? Oh, Oh, I have a chapter about this in the book you're reading. Um, so yeah. Sugars, fats, and sweets, but it, it sort of deals with um, a slightly uh, different rationale for wanting candy. Um, but you know, same thing. If you deprive yourself of it, I think if you repress any urge, okay, repress any urge, it's gonna come back in very different, different, very maybe sometimes scary, confusing ways. And if you are very, um, you know, are very, you know, take things in moderation and relearn how to regulate and moderate all of your impulses in a healthy way, then I just about doing anything's okay. You know, um, there are things I've done that I'll never do again because I did in micro doses and I learned, Oh, this is not for me. Oh, I like this, but maybe too much of this is too, is it good either, you know? So that's sort of how I've dealt with that over the years. Yeah. So, you know, you, when you're dealing with kids and candy and, and you know, what to give them, what to not, it's, you, uh, my other thing was I don't want to set up rebellion. Right. And so you want to make sure they have the freedom to make choices in a kind of a controlled format. Right. And so I never really restricted them from candy or video games or what movies you were going to watch. 
but they had to accept the consequences. Like if you got scared because you watched a scary movie that was above your, <laughs> you know, above your, your pay grade, above man. your pay grade, above <laughs> your age. Well, you know, you're going to be scared. Your dad's not going to get much sympathy from Papa. And so it's <laughs> not that's the, that. and why you know, children what out. scary is. You know, you yeah. show what scary is first. Do you like this? How does this feel in a small, right, restricted, controlled way? And then you explain to them, well, this is only incrementally scarier. How do you think that's going to feel? And you, and you know what I mean? Like, you have to frame it, right, and show them, experience it in a small way so they can judge for themselves sometimes. Well, if it's scarier than this, I don't want to do it. No, no, no. You know, it's, you know, I've, you know, that, you know, that's how I do it. it even, even with, even with, uh, you know, things that are too, uh, what they call it, too spicy. You know, yeah. well, that's spicier than this. Okay, I don't know, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we always did when my kids were watching TV and movies. We always let them know that you know it's not reality. Sometimes it can yeah. reflect reality and mirror reality, but it's not actual reality. Yeah. And so I think that helped them when it comes to you know dealing with scary movies or 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 you know goofy concepts, whatever it yeah. is on TV. They always kind of got it. Okay, it's not quite real. Even if it seems really real, it's not quite real. And, you know, we always had an open conversation with the kids. And so I think that always helps. When you're always having a conversation with your children, you know, they talk to you about these things. And so they don't actually get the wrong impressions imprinted in their head. Yeah. And I think so that's if you're going to restrict your kids from having candy or from watching TV or whatever it is, you've got to make sure they understand why you're doing it. And, you know, that's going to be the best way to approach it, I think. You can't just tell them no. You have to explain to them why. Okay. Okay, is it worth it for a parent to work full-time but spend the whole paycheck on daycare for their children? Wouldn't it make sense to just stay home with the kids? Not not everyone is cut out for... for home. Well, it also depends if you're on a career path. You know, just because you're not, you know, you're barely, you're not making enough money now to just cover the expenses. In five years, you may be making twice what you're making now. But just until you get that experience, you're not going to do that. And so you're actually what you're doing is you're deferring. You're deferring your gratification. You're deferring. You're deferring that time for the future endeavor. But also, if you're working at a grocery store as a clerk and you're just barely making enough to pay. You know, maybe not. There's, there's no, there's no single answer to a question like this. You just, everybody has to understand what their personal and family goals are and, and how it works in with them. There's just not a single answer, because not all, not all, not all questions have financial answers. Even though it's a financial question, the answer may not be financial. It may be emotional. It may be career-wise. It may be, you know, who knows? There's a hundred different reasons that someone could decide to work. You know, sometimes you can bring your emotional stuff to a, a financial counselor. You know, I sat with a financial counselor once, and I just like my book, I laid it all on her. I'm, I'm talking about my disability. I'm talking about my parents, my family. You know, why that credit card looks like that, what that incident was, and 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 then and then asked her. You know, very honestly, given what I just told you about my life and what it looks like, what do you think I should do here? And and you know, at first she had to take a sip of coffee and. And take a breath, or maybe a Xanax. But you know, after that, she got. A, she told me, "No, that credit card's not for you." And uh, you know what I mean. You know, so you know, or, or you know, here's a set of options that are maybe more realistic. Um, 
and you know, given your life circumstances, you know, gotta be honest with people in our lives, from the financial planner to the you know the person um, as you know you know prescribing your meds to you know whoever it is in your life. The more you, the more you let out, um, you know, in in a, in a way that makes sense, the more I think you know appropriate you, you the responses you're gonna get back are, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, no one can give you decent advice if they don't know. What's going on? Yeah. It's like telling your doctor, doctor, my leg hurts, but you don't tell him that you hit it with a hammer. You know, he's going to have a little time. (laughs) You know, these things are kind of simple. Okay, what do we got next? Is it true that that 144 hertz gaming monitor, HZ, what is that? How do I put this question in the cut? So gaming I, monitor, so just a marketing gimmick since human response times are much higher. I don't think I meant to have this question in there, but um, the answer is yes and no. If you're a high-end gamer or a video file, it can make a difference. If you're a regular person who just uses work applications and watches the web, you're not going to tell. So it's that's the answer. Okay. It's just, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> what should I do about my 21-year-old son who doesn't go to school, doesn't have a job, and doesn't do chores, and just goes out and plays games with his friends all day? Well, he sounds a little lost. He sounds a bit lost. You know, it's... Now, what do you do about it is the difficult question. My guess is he's got a, some kind of emotional, not a mental health problem, depression is the easy answer but it, my guess is there's probably something deeper what do you think Max? well you know my question is is that impacting his life in a negative way is, is he okay with that is you know does he have the financial resources to do that i'd love to do that oh my god i wish i did that you know but i <laughs> i couldn't i didn't have the money um i needed to do other things i had passion i had interests i wasn't lost i you know that's what i wanted to do i wanted to do other things but if that's okay for you and that's working for you, and you love seeing your friends, and you love just hanging out, and that's not interfering with any of your goals in life. That's what you want to do. You want to chillax for life. You know, do what you want to do. I, I always tell people, not everyone's life is you know moving in in uh, direction A or direction B. Sometimes it's okay to be what you want to do, and if there's nothing interfering, if your life's not, if you don't feel held back, and you know, be you, be you. Yeah. I guess the question is, what happened? How did he become 21 and sitting on your couch? Was he just in school? Has he been in on the couch since he was 18? Right. You know, there's sure. probably not enough information in this particular oh. question. You know? Yeah. It, has he experienced a job layoff? Or, you know, probably, he, yeah. Yeah. Asking that question is concerned. Yeah. Is there some emotional component that we just don't understand? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. we got time for one more, I think. One more. Okay, I get to pick. You get to pick. How upset would you be as a parent if your 16-year-old high school daughter was caught by police skinny dipping with a mixed group of friends at a nearby quarry? I'd be impressed because I don't think my daughter would get naked in front of a bunch of people, to be honest. So, <laughs> you know, but we're fairly open around this house. We wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have bothered me all that much. Getting, being dumb enough to get caught by the cops would be bothering yeah, me more. Yeah, yeah, I'd be bothered him. that you got caught. <laughs> yeah. How'd you morons get caught? What'd you guys do? You know, <laughs> but, you know, I'm a pretty hippie parent, so I'm not entirely sure I'm the best person to ask this question. 
What do you think, Mac? No, I'm with you there. You know, why are you so vulnerable with, you know, being exposed and out there? Be careful, you know, protect yourself. You know, if you're doing an activity, you know, that people maybe, maybe think is questionable, as long as you're safe, be safe doing it, you know? Um, you know, don't allow yourself to be so vulnerable and out there that everyone is going to know the details of your life, you know, and, and possibly put you at risk of other, other issues happening, you know? Yeah, but, uh, you know, assuming it's just skinny dipping. Right. We're, kids are just skinny dipping. I mean, we used to do far more dangerous stuff. We used to swim across the river with a basketball as a flotation device to use the rope swing that was on the other side. And this is the Sacramento River. This is not a small little stream. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So if they're just skinny dipping, nah, they're good. Now, a quarry, I think it was in a quarry or something. It's probably you not the You got to be careful the, with the rocks. With not world's greatest idea, but yeah. it's probably a popular swimming hole at this point. It's probably relatively safe. But, you know, it's that's it. If the quarry thing is relatively safe, Stop being dumb and getting caught. That would be my suggestion. <laughs> if you're going to punish him, punish him for being dumb to getting caught, not for actually doing the skinny dippies. <laughs> but punish him by making him mow the lawn or wash dishes or something. Don't get, don't become overly abundant, right? If that's something, punishment fits the crime kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. That's all the time we have tonight. We want to thank Max for being here. You can find thank Max you. at healthaffairsblog.org. That blog. That blog. Health affairs. Oh, mentalhealthaffairs.blog. Yeah, me and my bad eyes. Gonna be fixed here before too long. We will see you all next week. We have a happy thanks no Thanksgiving. I knew I was gonna screw that up. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. I knew it last week that I was gonna at some point I was gonna call Valentine's Day Thanksgiving. I don't know why, but it was gonna happen. We'll see if it happens again next week. <laughs> We're going to have a Valentine's Day show where we get all hippy-dippy and lovey-dovey and, and frilly-willy. <laughs> just days before we head out on a lovely trip for vacation. But we will come with you. I think we'll try to come to you live from the beaches of Hawaii. That'll be nice. We'll try. We'll no, we try. We'll try. Max, we'd like to have you back on a future show. We'd I'm love great. to have you back. Great friend of the show here. It was Thank nice. You. Nice time. Always a Thank you for staying up late. We greatly appreciate it. We really do. We know it's late for you over there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful everything. Right. Be Dave. Right. Thank you, guys. Thank everybody, you, Max. Thank you. Everybody, good night. And for me and Lovely, Lovey and Max, please remember to love everybody. Good night.